3: hello ladies hello hello to sick <laughs> broken women checking in checking in with a limb sip instead of a vino i know i was thinking before as we were
4: walking to your house what the ethics are of putting a shot of vodka in my limsip.
3: oh my god i wonder what that would do to you i feel like you'd like go on a killing spree or something and use <laughs> yeah. that as your, as your excusing court like when you stay awake on um Sleeping pills. They make you super crazy. I was listening to that Phoebe's Fool podcast again, which is about that case in Melbourne where it was so sad. This like 24-year-old girl was found at the bottom of a garbage chute oh yeah and it was ruled that it was because she mixed ambien and alcohol and they found these weird cases in america of people mixing ambien and alcohol and doing like the most bizarre things and the parents are always like they never would have done that and it's not until people see like footage of the people doing it that they can believe it like people accidentally walking off the top of buildings or oh, like driving God. their car in a sleep like state and all this stuff it's nuts
4: that's so crazy you yeah, my old housemate <laughs> took sleeping pills and stayed awake and then just, like, threw a plate
3: at a wall. <laughs> it was so crazy. We were all like, what is going on? He just fully, like, lost, lost it. I lost it. I think, yeah, sleeping pills are really gnarly. Yeah. I remember when we were in high school, did people used to drink cough syrup <laughs> to get,
2: but, like, high? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Oh, my
4: God. Yeah, and then my friend's girlfriend as well took a bunch of sleeping pills before a flight. Mm -hmm. And then drank some wine because she thought it would make her fall asleep and then stayed awake and she was fully doing like a bridesmaids.
3: Oh, she like lost the plot. Yeah. And they said they were going to have to move her and like (laughs) detain her. Someone I used to work with, she once had, same thing, alcohol and the sleeping pill on a flight. And then when she landed, she had these like really expensive new, like I think Bottega Veneta sneakers or something. And when she landed – she had kicked them off while she was asleep and when she woke up, like th- the shoes that were left under her seat were like Adidas sneakers that were two sizes too small, and then she was like, Oh my god, what's happened? And spotted someone wearing hers and started yelling at them, and then they had this like fight and then she got her shoes back.
4: Oh my god, had they stolen them?
3: I like they said it was a misunderstanding, but
4: What? I know.
3: A misunderstanding. Took advantage of her <laughs> Ambient Adult State. That is so fucking funny. Oh my god! I know. And she started yelling. I don't know what I would have done. I think I would have just—you would have just gone, let the them take them, and, and just worn those shoes. You just shoved your
4: feet in the Adidas and off you went. And Just pretended that I never owned them. Bunions <laughs> for the Adidas sneakers. Okay, wait, what was I going to start this with? We we're going to talk about the cookies. Oh fucking hell! So, well, for starters, when we were in Paris, we we're sitting at a cafe and then grace was like don't look to your left and i looked to my left and it was a cookie shop that and the cookies looked so so delicious we're both cookie fiends which is like kind of cookie a, heads we're such cookie heads it's just kind <laughs> of kind of a random thing like,
3: it is isn't? it isn't. I know. Yeah. But as in, I would pick a cookie over it. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Remember
4: yeah. the other day when I was over and I was walking the streets of Notting Hill asking any dessert shop whether they had cookies? Yeah. The guy was like, we have cookie-flavored ice cream. I was like, not Did good I enough. Ask that? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> and Grace has just made some really, really delicious chocolate chip cookies with salt on top.
3: Yeah. These are Alison Roman with... The O's start out or whatever people on the internet do when they talk about people that were cancelled. Really? Yeah. I just love her. I it's, like, know. so funny because when she got cancelled, I was like, who is Alison Roman? I don't care. And now in the aftermath of her being cancelled, I've realised that she's a amazing chef with a bubbly <laughs> little personality. I know. <laughs> I know that as well. That happened
4: to me too. I literally was like, I don't understand who this woman is. I have no... Care in the world for her, and then I watched her on Z-Way's thing. That's Z-way right. Did her on Instagram Live, and I was kind of right. like, "Oh, she's more funny and self-aware than a lot of people that come on this."
3: Yeah, yeah, um, she's she's cool. Like, but then the thing with cool. the
4: reply or with the test kitchen thing, it's like it would be so annoying if someone was just a bubbly blonde, pretty chef who made really simple recipes and kept getting promoted above you. But I'm like, exactly. all of that
3: aside the recipes are really good they're so they're very foolproof i made it last night i made pork cutlets with fennel salad and the cookies afterwards wow i know and they sound complicated and they're really easy yeah so So my recommendation for this week is alice and (laughs) roman
4: so the cookies are in the kitchen
3: they're like taunting us from the
4: kitchen and i can't stop thinking about them which is really frustrating Yeah, I agree. But other than that, this is a stale recommendation because you've obviously recommended it before. And I kind of ignored you, but was slowly watching Sex Education's third season. And then something flicked in my brain. And I was like, I'm so obsessed with the show. I completely understand what you mean. I was Mm -hmm. like, the writing is perfect. The scenes are perfect. It just hooked me in a way that it never had before. Yeah,
3: I think this is the third season is the best season. It is so
4: fucking good. Every single... Story and then last the other night I was watching it in bed. Did you cry a lot?
3: Yeah, there was like okay. in the later yeah. episodes there was a lot of
4: everything that happened. Every jerkers. scene I was crying, yeah. and then my boyfriend was like, "You literally have to leave this house if you want to keep crying <laughs> over this show." I was like, "I'm so sorry, but it's really emotional." Because then he'd look on the TV and it would be the stupidest scene ever. It'd be like the girl with the goat. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just be sobbing. I love that girl. Same, Amy. She's such Amy. a good actress. She's,
3: I saw her in a Chekhov play in London before the pandemic yeah. happened. She has a, a huge amount of range. Yeah, she's she's an incredible actress. I want to get her on the pod. Same. She's my, yeah. I, and the girl who plays Ruby I thought was really good as well, that sexy one. And another classic
4: AWD maneuver. We emailed the show's creator and she said that she would come on it to promote season three and then we forgot. I think it was season two and we forgot. No. Or maybe it was. No, it was season three. Because they were like, season three is coming out at this time. Get back in touch then and we'll organize it. And then the season came and went.
3: Now we'll be like, are you free now? And she'll be like, yes, for season four. Yeah, and then we'll just forget again. Three years time. Um, Eric and Adam, I feel like this stand out plot line of the season yeah it was really nicely done yeah
4: so and his dad I was about to say that so for anyone who hasn't seen it Adam was this kind of the school bully and really horrible and then he came out as gay and started dating Eric who's this amazing Nigerian man And they have this really great relationship. And then the dad as well. I love how they explore that storyline. So the dad was this horrible, you know, like guy who kicked Adam out basically when he found out he was gay and was just treated him horribly. And then now they're exploring his storyline and how his dad treated him when he was younger. And he's trying to get in touch with his emotions again and like really work through it, which I think is such a good thing for anyone to see. I'm just like, this
3: show is literally free therapy. It's like free therapy. Therapy for Netflix subscription. Agree. I love yeah I love it it's brilliant and another great tv rec I've just been binging American Crime Story season three it's the Monica Lewinsky Bill Clinton scandal and Beanie Feldstein our girl is playing Monica Clive Owen is playing Bill Clinton which is so random and Sarah Paulson is playing Linda Tripp and it's amazing it's so camp and stupid and over the top I just I love it so much
4: oh i'm really excited to watch it you'll
3: love seeing beanie she's yeah, such she, a she has like theater such theater kid energy yes. that every scene is like really over the top but it's perfect but in a great way in the best way that's yeah. another one that i i feel is floating around in our inbox beanie someone, someone being looped back in and we we're like yeah <laughs> i know
4: <laughs> It'll have something will happen one day, ladies. Yeah, we need to get offered on like a platter. We need to be told beanies outside your house. Interviews at this time would be like, oh my god, we're sick. We have to do it next week. Uh, Yeah, our inboxes are uh, so useless. I'm both of us are really bad at emails. mm -hmm. I, I genuinely think it's like I know that this is probably as everyone says an ADHD trait. We just exhibit the most classic traits of these things, and then our podcast listeners will email us like you with your what is it dys dysphoria dysraxia dysraxia which is literally grace's problem where she I have a facial awareness issue and we had so many listeners message us and say grace you have this and you were like I know I know my dad told me (laughs) but the emails thing is so bad I was even going to say one of the topics we're talking about this week was brought to our attention by a listener's email
3: oh wow and we still haven't replied but I'm thanking them here publicly thank you This is Bad Art Friend. Yeah. All I want to talk about in this episode is... Bad Art Friend. Bad Art Friend. Yeah. Should we save it till last? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So
4: something I have been reading this week, and also I'm writing an article that I actually enlisted AWD listeners for, which was quite fun and you guys were so helpful, is a piece on The Atlantic called A Profession is Not a Personality, which we've talked about a lot on the pod, but... Essentially, yeah, it goes into how just reducing yourself into any single characteristic, whether it's your title or your job performance, is super damaging. Open's talking about Karl Marx, and I actually didn't know this, but fundamentally his reasoning for not liking capitalism came down to people's happiness and believing that capitalism made people unhappy by treating them as part of a machine in which the person is expunged and only productivity remains. And it's something we're all so guilty of doing in today's society, creative people maybe even more so than most. And I've been writing this piece about how the pandemic has maybe changed our personalities. And it's really interesting because in that piece, heaps of you guys actually, who were DMing me and the close friends were saying that you've quit your jobs because of the pandemic, because it prompted you to realize that you were prioritizing something that just didn't prioritize you back. And that... that, Putting so much time and energy into work was just getting you nowhere. So someone quit their like high-level job in fashion and started working at a not-for-profit, and so did another
3: little angel listener. Started working at a not-for-profit too. So, so interesting. Nice. Reading this article was really interesting because I think I would have found it really confronting if I'd read it two years ago, mm. and now I feel like it's touching on a lot of things that I've been unpacking since the pandemic started about the connection between work and identity. And I do think – I've said this before. It feels like coming out of – I don't think this is, this is, like, fashion magazines specifically, although there is an element to magazine culture which lends itself to this. But I'm like – I do feel like I've almost come out of this, like, cult factory mm. where so much of who I thought I was and my identity was tied to my job to the point where it's taken, like, a really long time to untangle what's what.
4: Yeah, and that, I
3: think – yeah, you say
4: the fashion magazine thing, but even when I worked at Red Bull, it was like that as well. It's like any yeah. of those jobs that kind of have that cool element. Well, I don't know. It could be heaps of jobs, but like those cool elements, you know, working at Facebook or, or Google, Google yeah, yeah. or Instagram. It becomes that cultish culture where, yeah, you think that it's presented to you as if you have this dream job. So you want to work really hard and you want to do really well. And also, especially in magazines and especially in these cool jobs, you feel as though you're really replaceable. Yeah. So you're always feeling like really stoked to be there and really grateful that you have a job. So then it stops you asking for more money. It stops you asking for a better job title. It stops you asking for anything because you're just like, oh my God, thank you so much for hiring me. Yeah.
3: And you want to just keep like shaving off bits of yourself to like fit this idea of what you think. A magazine editor is or a person that works in this specific industry is and it's like this piece in saying that when i found it amazing how it said you like objectify yourself Mm. but on the street women know that if you get objectified by men on the street it makes you feel gross and weird and reduced down to something really simple afterwards when we obsess over identifying ourselves only with work we like objectify ourselves so we're viewing ourselves as this like two-dimensional character of whatever job we're in And I even found with work, it would influence where I wanted to eat out, where I wanted to live, how I wanted to decorate my house, what I wanted to order at a restaurant, all of this stuff just became so tied up with defining myself by this one single thing. And when you get out of it, you're like, that was fucked. And then you're like, I don't know what is who I I am like authentically, but I know that it's not all of these things that I've been doing.
4: And even I've said this before, but even, you know, everyone would push onto me that I was really ambitious or, or really uh, like work focused. And that was just because I got a job and so did you at a young age. And so everyone's like, oh yeah, young gun. So then I was like, oh wow, that work is my thing. Yeah. Work is what I do. Work is what I'm good at. And then taking that away, I was like, oh, I don't even really want to work that much. (laughs) I've been told that I should. And then I just took that on and was like, oh wow. It is an identity. What do you identify yourself as? And then at the same time as, you know, this piece has come out and the pandemic has happened and people have so much more time to figure out what really matters to them. Yeah. That's coincided with obviously the end of the girl boss era, which Mm -hmm. is another interesting thing. That thing that I said to you, how work kind of got conflated with feminism. Yeah. We were all like, wow, we need to work really hard as women in the workplace. And now I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a
3: minute. I don't want to do that. I want to work
4: for you. Yes. I was like, I wish I wanted babies even though i know that that's hard work too but i'm like then i wouldn't have to worry about thinking about a career
3: (laughs) yeah i know it is so it's so interesting i feel like the pandemic has like permanently shifted the way we think about work maybe it's not how everyone thinks about work i do think if you kept the same i want i wonder about that a lot and i was talking to a friend about this recently about if you know i think our outlook on this has been so impacted by the fact that we like have had job insecurity basically for this whole pandemic because we've been self-employed and if we hadn't been in and just stayed in the jobs that we were in through the whole pandemic, if we would have had any of these like thoughts, I mean, it sounds like, yes, because of so many of the people you're talking to are saying they've had big life changes. I wonder what it would have been like for us.
4: Yeah. I don't know. I think as well when you're surrounded by people all the time, like if you're on those zoom meetings all the time and you're still really engulfed in it maybe not and also a lot of the people I spoke to have children so they have young children at home and now you're working from home so you're confronted by what you were kind of you know you drop your kids at daycare and you'd feel really bad leaving them at daycare and then you just have to get on with your day whereas all day every day if your kid is crying and nagging and like wanting your attention and you're not able to give it to them it's a lot more kind of front and center of just being like wait why am I prioritizing work over this. I spoke to one of our incredible friends and friend of the pod, Annie Brown, who's a writer. And she wrote this incredible piece for Vogue Australia during the pandemic a couple of months ago, titled An Apology to the Mothers I Worked With Before I Became One Myself, talking all about just how before she became a mother, she would sort of look at the working mums who would leave at 5pm on the dot, not in a negative way, but just like noticing they were leaving you, yeah. or even that thing where you kind of, you would literally, I know I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit, but you would feel, I, I remember when people would go on maternity leave, I was just like, oh, sucks for them because yeah. they're not in the office working. And now I'm like, what? That is so crazy. And when I, when I spoke to Annie for this piece, she just said that, yeah, the pandemic really prompted her to rethink about her priorities in a way. And now she's gone from working full time. She took a full time role in the pandemic to uh, freelancing and being a contributing editor to spend more time with her kids. And she was just like, it's hard because that ambition you've had for your whole life, she was like, it's still nagging at me. And all of these things that you tell yourself about achieving goals by a certain age and how your life should look, it's really hard to readjust that in your brain and to keep it that way. And she was like, I'm still fighting with that daily.
3: Yeah. And I think it is like, to bring everything back to fucking social media, but I do feel like it is very tied to social media culture because I find that when I'm not in the realm of looking on Instagram at all, I'm like completely contented with what I'm doing because I'm like focusing on my own goals that are just rooted in my actual life. Yeah. And when I get on social media, which is about like, it's more closely aligned with presenting this, you know, work is not your identity. It's just like the identity of what I know of what I wanted to be was what I try to project on Instagram Mm. as opposed to like who I am as a person. So I think that that's where it gets confusing because you're in a world where everyone's projecting their dream version of themselves in a way that is inextricably tied to work. And I think the bio thing for working in magazines where like your job title and the publication you worked for in your bio was such an obsessed over crazy psycho thing that people cared about so much. I know. The day I finished magazines, it was like the day I left a full-time job. I remember taking it out of my bio by the next morning mm. because I was like, I just need to get that. Out. Like firstly, I was like terrified of looking like I was like clinging on to it longer than I needed to, which is like mm. so funny that I felt the need to do it in like 12 hours. But it was because of this thing of... I don't want to be involved in this pissing match anymore. Yeah. Like, I just want to be out of it. Yeah. And that those job titles were seen as replacing our identity.
4: Yeah. I even think with the podcast, we're in such a bit of, uh, or maybe me, me more so than you. As in, I was more crazy, I think. in a bit of headspace with it now, where it's like, oh, this is a job that we do. Yeah. It's not an identity. It's not like who we are. Yes. You don't have capture
3: The entirety of who you are. Yeah,
4: and I remember I don't know when it when it would be, maybe yeah, pre-pandemic, like two years ago. I was like, oh, I should post heaps of photos of us on my grid because the podcast listeners love it, or like yeah, posting things for the podcast. And it's like obviously like we do have people who follow us or or people who care about us as people because of this podcast that we put out. But at the same time, that now just feels so much less of our identity and so much more of a fun thing we do together. Yeah, exactly. Which is so
3: nice. I know, it's a very. It's very confusing. It's a very confusing thing because I think then people obviously go on to define their personality by like motherhood or like wifehood instead of career. So it's like if you're going to identify yourself in. You should obviously just never identify yourself with a single factor. Yeah. And I guess work is better than maybe identifying with those other more like submissive things that women are used to identifying with.
4: I know, this piece I'm writing or this piece I just submitted is about whether the pandemic has changed our personality. Mm. And I actually spoke to a personality psychologist Ooh. who works at a personality laboratory in California, which is quite- Good old California, of course. Quite interesting, <laughs> yeah. And read a piece which I actually said, which I found really interesting. So for a lot of psychology's history, our personality was considered set in stone beyond early adulthood. So after you become an adult, you, you're just personality is who you are. But research recently has found that while they're relatively stable, our personality traits, they're not completely fixed. So an event like a pandemic can alter our personalities. Whether it has, Dr. Can't even say her name. Bly Dawn? Dawn? (laughs) said that they're doing a lot of research into it now. So it's still undetermined whether it has altered us or not, or whether it's just made us like reassess our priorities, which is interesting. But there's what I included in the piece was people, this one's kind of, quite obvious, but realizing you're more introverted than you are extroverted. Uh For me and for a bunch of other people I talked to, they said that they believed they were an extrovert, which I obviously am to an extent. But at the same time, I was always so exhausted, so tired all the time Mm -hmm. and taking that time to really figure out what it is you want and being more kind of set in stone about it. A lot of the listeners I talked to said that they now are, are like way more confident in saying, no, I don't want to do that. Or mm-hmm. no, I don't want to go there. And a lot of girls actually said that they ditched toxic friends too and stopped and realized that heaps of friendships weren't serving them. Good time friends as we dub them.
3: Yes. Yeah. I think this is, I even saw an Atlantic thing being like, why do we ever what, like meet in person basically? And this idea that after the pandemic, everyone's like this, the threshold of why you should meet someone in person has just become so much higher in, like, a really positive way. So if you want to see your friends, you want to make sure that it's, like, a really good friend, that it's worth venturing out of the house for, that it's worth spending the money on, or the the social energy that it, like, extracts from you. Or if you're working, you only want to, like, actually go and take the effort to meet someone in person and not do, like, a video conference call if it's, like, genuinely necessary. And I think before we were just so burned out by, like, how much we're expected to see and interact with other humans. Mm. And it's actually kind of not normal and we had too many friends i guess facebook like made it seem i think there's like data that says you can only at any given time have an emotional connection with eight people i think i think it's i think it's 150 people you can be like aware of in like a somewhat emotional way and then yeah it's like a a much smaller number you can genuinely have an emotional connection with and i think with facebook where people had three thousand friends and you added every single person you'd ever met as a friend it like confused us all because we were like oh We need to know a bazillion people and be out doing things all the time and be documenting it all the time. And that's what normal is. And now we're like, no, that's crazy. Yeah.
4: Even noticing someone said the people who make them feel good after they've seen them versus the people that make them feel bad after they've seen them. Yeah. That's such a massive one because we're just so guilty, I think, of like people pleasing in a way where you'd just go and see someone because you felt like you needed to. Or All of us have those friends that just make you feel a bit crap. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is the point of them?
3: Yeah, literally. And what's the point of like holding on to that relationship for a no reason? Yeah. So interesting. Time for realizing things, <laughs> realizing stuff, realizing stuff. As for something I've realized, it's that Adele is really cool. I love Adele. My name is Grace, and I love Adele. I was like, Adele's random. Why is Adele so famous? <laughs> like, what does she even seeing? I just forgotten. Yeah. And now her new album's coming out, and her vogue covers came out and then i i said to her i was like i don't care about adele and then i found myself watching her performing rolling in the deep at like glastonbury and i was like what an exceptional performance from a wonderful performer i know i
4: think my thing with adele was always that her music isn't my kind of music basically yeah yeah so i was just like oh i'm aware that she's a really good performer and i'm aware that she's an incredible singer and songwriter but I'm not that into her songs so I just always just was she was just there she just, existed. Yeah, she just exists yeah I've never followed her on Instagram I've never seen her live I'd never done really interacted with her at all and then reading these profiles of her I was like fuck why are you so funny and she it's like me realizing Harry Styles exists yeah in terms of being like I always knew he was around I knew he was good looking I always knew she was around always knew she was talented didn't realize she was so charming
0: hilarious, hilarious.
4: Says yeah. the C, drops the c-bomb in an interview with vogue yeah gets drunk on cocktails in both interviews
3: yeah yeah she's great i kind of i kind of knew she was like good quality yeah. and like funny but i yeah i, I guess i just forgotten and even her songs they are just you know again I agree like not entirely my cup of tea i was like what does she even sing and then i went on <laughs> 21 and i was like well i know all of these songs off by heart and back to front yeah somehow i'm probably gonna listen to her on my walk home today cookie in hand cookie in hand I mean yeah someone like you just became so everywhere yeah that I feel like I was just like oh. I know this is what happens with fame where it's like when someone's so shoved down your throat yeah she hasn't given an interview in five years and yet I'm still like Adele is just everywhere all the time
4: yeah someone messaged us there on Instagram actually about Timothy Chalamet how we were saying we're sick of him and they were just like it's Funny because Timothy Chalamet himself isn't really doing anything wrong. He's not even actually about that much, if you think about it. No. But because we love him so much, so many brands have got him like endorsing them, and so he's pushed at us from every direction yes. that we end up being like, I hate Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, I'm sick. Of I don't want to see him. another snippet of you and Willy Wonka. I don't even understand why that's being remade. I love the
3: original. No, I need to rewatch that Willy Wonka. It's yeah. a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's the fame industrial complex or whatever, which is why the smart people just don't play the game. Mm. They just stay all. away from it, yeah. So, Adele, so she did two covers concurrently for British and American Vogue with two separate interviews. If yes. we're, you know, putting a gun to our heads, preferred the British cover. <laughs> of course, of course. But. both were beautiful but she looked amazing in the british vogue one we were
4: reading it out loud before and you said in the american vogue one the writer met adele at the gym and they did a workout together and the girl wrote adele is not merely fit she's a brick house and grace goes I feel like Adele would not approve of that sentence.
3: <laughs> she's a brick house. A brick house. I was like, who wants to be called a brick house? Yeah. Because the English phrase is like built like a brick shit house, which is like what you say about a burly, like boxer type. I just feel like that's not a particularly nice line. No. She's a brick house with the kind of definition that's visible through leggings. It sounds like she's talking about John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't even
4: think of one fit. Sports person, but sounds like she's speaking about Jonah Lomu, which only New Zealanders will understand. <laughs> she's like, okay. <laughs> um, oh,
3: she looks, she just looks so gorgeous in these images. I she's know. a real, like, she's a real Hollywood, like, bombshell, isn't she? Yeah, she's
4: ridiculously good looking. She looks like Emily Blunt.
3: Yeah, and they were saying what Sarah Paulson as well. People say she looks like Sarah Paulson. They were saying Sarah Paulson, her and Lana Del Rey. Someone was like, Sarah Paulson, Lana Del Rey and Adele look like a font that's on like bold italics and plain. Yes.
4: <laughs> Who's the plain one? That made me laugh. laugh.
3: But yeah, so it's the first interview in five years
4: since 2016. In that time, she's been both married and divorced. Um, she also obviously speaks about her weight loss in both pieces. So she's lost 100 LBs, which is 45 kgs, which is a lot of weight, but She said that, you know, fans were obviously shocked because she posted a photo and they hadn't really seen her in the Uh spotlight at all over that time. But she said she lost the weight over two years. So I got my little calculator out Uh and losing, yeah, 45 kgs over two years is 0.46 kgs a week, which is actually a really healthy way to lose weight. Right. So it's not this this crazy thing. She said she hasn't been dieting at all, all of the diets that people say she's been following. She hasn't intermittent fasted. She hasn't done anything like that. She just started working out to help her anxiety and to make her focus on something that wasn't her phone when she was going through this really stressful really tumultuous 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 I, I can never say that word time through her divorce. Mm-hmm. Which I can really relate to. During
3: your tumultuous <laughs> my divorce, te- divorce you also with my 9 with your nine-year-old son. Um I I think it's it's kind of great that she talked about it that way and also i think it's she does a good job i think in both interviews of being like look this is what happened but it's honestly none of anyone's fucking business and i kind of liked that i get that we are all talking about it and it's like part of the problem as well but it's you know it's an interesting thing to happen for one of the most famous people in the world to lose 50 kilos it's like not you know people talking about it isn't this inherently sexist thing it's just like a interesting thing to note. I think it's when people start moralizing and saying that weight loss is inherently good or is inherently bad or like making judgments about her selling out to Hollywood or whatever is where it like starts getting messy and tricky.
4: I know. And I also think it's a funny thing because talking about weight loss is always a tricky topic because in Adele's case it it genuinely feels like she is feeling happier and healthier and fitter and stronger after she's lost this weight and because she's exercising more. So it's, a, it's been a positive thing for her. But the reason you can't talk about weight loss in that way is because you just don't. You genuinely don't know. Like Lena Dunham's the prime example of this. So she, after her wedding, which we talked about in detail, was we so obsessed with it. She posted this photo saying, "Oh my God, I was having you know such a lovely time. I got married. I went on a honeymoon. I thought I've shared so much negative stuff with you guys that I wanted to share some positive." And then I got too comfortable and looked at some of the comments, and it was just absolutely horrible, people talking about her put, gaining weight and someone people making jokes that she'd like eat in the cast of girls, and all of these things and Lena was just like, "It's ironic to have my body compared to a body that was also the subject of public scorn, an echo chamber of body shaming. When will we learn to stop equating thinness with health and happiness? Of course, weight loss can be the result of positive change in habits, but guess what so can weight gain?" The pics I'm being compared to are from when I was in active addiction with an undiagnosed illness. In the four years since I've gotten sober and begun my life as someone who aspires towards health and not just achievement. And then she said that these changes have allowed her to be a better sister, a better friend, a better daughter, and meet her husband who doesn't recognize her in those old photos because he sees how dimmed her light was. I think that's a really great example of us equating, yeah, thinness or weight loss with health when it's just so often can be the exact opposite yeah so often can be like a sign of disordered eating or depression Mm -hmm. and but then at the same time it's like yeah with adele there's so much more to her than the fact that she's lost weight and i love that she just said what did she say she said something like suck my dick yeah oh gets a revenge body oh my god suck my dick
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know she's such a legend. She's so hilarious and she is just such an important watching those videos of her performing I was just kind of like she just is one of those artists that's going to go on to like define our entire generation. She never collaborates with people. She doesn't have like guest appearances from Beyoncé or whatever in her albums. She's yeah. just this kind of singularly focused person that like writes her own music and creates this music at her own pace and every time she does it is Huge cultural moments where everyone's blown away by and obsessed by the music she creates. I just think she's a really interesting Same. figure in the culture, and I'm happy she's around. I don't, don't know, her. I mean, I don't think I'll listen to her album, but I obviously will.
4: Yeah, I think I will now after reading all of this. I think the last thing I'll say about the weight loss thing, I'm just reading rereading the quote. Is she said, I understand why it's a shock. I understand why some women, especially were hurt visually, I represented a lot of women, but I'm still the same person. And people just saying that her weight loss is her kind of a disservice to to people who looked at her as being a, a representation of someone who's healthy and happy and not the quote unquote like ideal body weight. But she was just saying you don't need to be overweight to be body positive you can be any shape or size, and I like truly believe that. Yeah, with her, like she said, it was never about weight loss; it was just about getting health, like getting fit for her. Exactly, and also, yeah. but also in it, it was kind of annoying how she said she exercises three times a day. I was like, well, don't yeah. When I say saw that. that, I
3: was like, that's really like b- bad to be putting it here when you're also trying to say that this has been part of you just having like a healthy equilibrium in your life, but then reading it when she actually explains it it's like she does weight training and cardio and then we'll go for like a walk or a hike and that's i think for a lot of people that would just be like a gym session plus a walk it's like yeah. not that yeah. unusual so i feel like the way it's been framed is like much more intensive than maybe it necessarily is yeah but i think it's i think any conversations about yeah people who have been figureheads in like the body positive community Losing a lot of weight suddenly, obviously, quite complicated.
4: Yeah, I also think any conversation about what someone does that works for them is like, just we shouldn't. You know how like those day on a plate things, yeah, yeah. and those exercise routines. It's every everyone is just so different that it actually you just shouldn't even worry at all about what other what other people are eating or what other people are how other people are working out because it just could just not work for you. And I feel like now. I think for both of us it's the first time we're just realizing things like even just things like eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner at set times. Like I remember with you, you used to yeah. drive me nuts because I would just be like, it would be lunchtime. And I was like, let's get lunch. And you were like, I just ate a fucking huge burger an hour ago at 11am. And I'd be like, why? This is so frustrating. <laughs> and now it's like just realizing what actually works for you. It's so much better than, like, keeping your... Because, yeah, I would do the same thing where I'd be, like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then I was, like, I'm fucking starving to goddamn death (laughs) at 3 p.m. And now I'll just, like, eat a smaller lunch and then get to have, like, five lunches.
3: Yeah, six meals a day. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's, like, no prescriptive thing to what's healthy or works or whatever for Mm. you or your body. And I think that this whole micro... I think it's also, like, fraught with Adele because I actually don't think Vogue has been as guilty of this as almost any other women's magazines, but like the rhetoric of how to lose weight. And Mm. when I started in magazines, like we still pretty openly would be like published stories, like how to lose five kilos in two weeks or how to like get a thinner tummy and like all these things that you just can't believe now that feel so antiquated. That was only like seven or eight years ago. I think because women's media has like for so long rewarded women when they lose weight Mm. that the fact that Adele, has lost weight and is now everywhere. It I think it can give people the feeling if she's being rewarded for it. But you've got to really remember that like she's being heroed as this amazing like cultural icon of and she, our time. Yeah, And
4: she's everywhere because of her new album. Because of her new
3: album, it's like the weight loss is a, a, a very much a secondary thing. And I think these articles is like the main profiles on her since the album's coming out do a pretty good job of framing it that way. So it's just important that we in our own brains don't make that connection. Yeah. After so long of having it like force fed.
0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Um, On two, yes. <laughs> and
4: were so okay. we going to say something else? No, I was just going to say. And also with. Um, i was just gonna stick up for carbs <laughs> just also people saying that carbs are really bad but like in women's magazines and in all those like diet things i feel like it so takes you so long to unlearn those things about like good and bad
3: foods and yeah yeah the idea of, of good like, and bad is yeah. like so fucking damaging so
4: stupid like even when i was in italy and i was like just we were just eating pasta every day and in my head i was like this is bad and then i was like no it's not yeah like, it's actually it's Literally, bad if you're isn't? gonna yeah. eat it with like a whole block of Parmesan cheese every meal. But other than that, it's completely fine. Yeah. Um. Okay, on to the best part of our day.
3: Yes. God Bad. bless the people that sent us this.
4: Yes. Bad art friend. Very, very up our alley. It is a... Almost ten thousand word article, can you believe it? I
3: listened to the audio version, and it goes for an hour and five minutes. I listened to it while I was baking my Alison Roman cookies. Wow! Yeah, an amazing tale that hooks you from very early in. I had no idea what it was about because the sell and stuff is like very vague. Yeah,
4: yeah. It's called "Who Is the Bad Art Friend." Oh, I want another cookie now that you said that. I'm sorry about that.
3: Who is the bad art friend? i know by robert colker who has like true this is like a true journalistic coup because i would argue that it almost almost didn't need to be published at
4: all. oh my god no i know (laughs) that's what i'm saying so many people were like how did this make it to the new york times but the funny thing that we were discussing is like you think how did this make it to the new york times i thought when i saw Cause I saved it on pocket cause I deleted my New York times subscription and now the only way I can access. Do you, know you
3: have to pay for a New York times cooking subscription yes, on Pocket? Are they fucking serious? Yeah,
4: cause Are I did, I did do serious? that. Then I deleted both. Yeah. But a hot tip is that pocket thing that I always wank on about. If you save URLs to that, you can read anything for free. That's crazy.
3: I know. How they... do they
4: get away with that? I don't know. Some Oh, actually, the only thing you can't is the bloody
3: Sunday Times. That is an impenetrable <laughs> fortress. The I times, know. And it's like oh $400 my God. billion dollars a month. Yeah. If you want to sign up. Sometimes I, I just want to
4: read Dolly Alderton's columns. Yeah. Good and luck. I can't. <laughs> Good
3: fucking luck to you.
4: Yeah. So it's a 10,000 word article in New York Times Magazine on basically a feud between these two random women, Dawn Dorland... <laughs> And Sonia Sonia Larson, they met um, as writers of this kind of Boston's, it's called Grub Collective, and it's a Boston's Writers' Centre. Sonia Larson is, like, kind of successful published writer, and Dawn Dorland wasn't and wanted to become a published
3: writer. And they both taught writing as, like, college professors or whatever. No, I don't even think Dawn did. No, I think Dawn was a teacher. Right. But... Hadn't was hadn't. working on a like novel. Okay. So like, sec- section of her novel they talked about actually sounded pretty good.
4: Yeah. So you think what's like possibly need ten thousand words written on it about these two random women? Yeah.
0: Um,
4: and then you read it, and I was literally like, I can't be asked reading this for the podcast. And I read it in one breath. I don't even think I took a <laughs> breath. I was just so hooked. So in two thousand and fifteen, Dawn Dorland donated her kidney and it was non-directed so it had no specific recipient and she was doing it you know as an act of kindness and and wanting to you know help someone out and then she created this private facebook group to update well wishes on her progress and in this private facebook group she added a bunch of people from this grub collective who she thought were friends and colleagues and who they thought she's like just a random woman who works at our work essentially we've now found out yes and a month after posting her kidney updates and heaps of people you know commenting she noticed that sonia larson a member of the group hadn't acknowledged her decision to donate the kidney and hadn't given her any likes or commented at all and so dawn sent her a message which is like hilarious yes saying hello did you see that i donated my kidney
3: yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is crazy. So Dawn obviously sounds like quite insufferable from like very early on. Yes. And so then
4: Sonia replied and was like, yeah, yeah, I did. That's amazing. Well done you. And then a man called Tom, who we love, because he's obviously sp- sp- knew what he was doing. A a drama. I bet, I bet a, a he was. A
3: drama hungry boy. Little I have in my head know. that he's
4: um, a, an amazing gay man. Yeah. <laughs> Just dropping in a little bomb. He literally commented on the Facebook group saying... I um, went to a reading that at Sonia Larson wrote a book about someone who donated a kidney. Wonder if it was inspired
3: by you, Dawn. Yes, it was a short story that Sonia had started writing the time that Dawn started publishing about donating her kidney. And she'd been doing readings for it. And basically this short story that she wrote kind of grew and formed and there was rewrites and it eventually became this like quite celebrated short story that was getting a lot of traction it was getting shortlisted for awards it was getting published it eventually got like picked up by some sort of boston shortlisted competition which meant that the the essay with the short story was going to be like street press like published on the street for everyone to read so as is going on dawn dawn dorland is getting increasingly frazzled behind the scenes because she's basically asking Sonia if it's inspired by her and then she feels a little bit weird about the fact that it is clearly inspired by her she hasn't read the story but they're having these exchanges behind the scenes where Sonia's basically saying you know things happen in real life that can inform stories but that doesn't mean that it's exploitative or that you know it, it has anything to do with you really
4: Yeah, she's basically saying, I saw you post on Facebook that you donated a kidney and that inspired me as an artist to write a story that's not
3: based off you and has nothing to do with you, but it's about someone who did donate a kidney. And it's exploring some themes I've been wanting to write about for a long time. And then in the final short story, it's about a white, very privileged woman that donates a, a kidney not knowing who it's going to, and it goes to an alcoholic Chinese American woman, and Sonia Larson is Chinese American herself. So she wanted to use this story as a way to kind of explore white saviorism and questions of like privilege and power and power dynamics in American society. And so where do like where did things start getting so where did it all go wrong? Well, basically <laughs> What happened was Dawn hadn't read the book
4: yet and it hadn't, this is like before it started taking off. This is when she first was alerted to the fact that there was even a book being written and Sonia was basically calling her, this is where the title of the piece comes in, a bad art friend for trying to say that she can't be inspired yeah, by Dawn, you know, and just being like, you know, we're artists, we're writers, we just write about things that happen and essentially kind of gaslighting Dawn in a way of just being like, you know, leave me alone. I'm just, I'm just, writing about something and it has nothing to do with you and so dawn was like okay and they kind of made peace and then a couple of years later she finally reads the story and realizes that sonya has literally uplifted paragraphs from her facebook letter that she wrote okay this is so jade it's so jade i cannot believe it yeah dawn had written a letter to whoever she donated the kidney to, who she ended up meeting in real life. And that's what happens in the story too. Yep. And she posted it publicly on that Facebook group saying, yes. I, you know, I donated my kidney because I had a hard life and I wanted to give back. I have some
3: quotes here. Okay, from, please. So this is from Dawn Dorlands. I really feel like she should have either not taken her husband's surname or changed her surname because it's just yeah too much. Dear recipient, my name is Dawn Dorland. I'm a 35-year-old white female and I live with my husband in Los Angeles. In 2009, I read my first article about living kidney donation and in the years since, I've been constantly reminded, whether triggered by my reading, I'm a writer, or through the stories <laughs> of people I know, I'm a writer, of harrowing experiences of dialysis and the dire need in our country for kidneys. I believe I knew from the moment I first became aware of the possibility of donating one of my kidneys that I would one day find a way to do this. I was motivated to donate at a time when, due to medical advances, blah, 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 blah. Personally, my childhood was marked by trauma and abuse, and I didn't have the opportunity to form secure attachments with my family of origin. A positive outcome of my early life is empathy, and it opened a well of possibility between me and strangers. While perhaps many more people would be motivated to donate an organ to a friend or family member, the suffering of strangers is, to me, just as real. This is the one that was in Sonia Larson's short story. Dear recipient, my name is Rose Rosario. Rose Rothario.
4: Oh, my God. So she even did the double
3: yeah. name. I'm a 38-year-old white male and I live in Boston. In 2015, I saw my first documentary about living kidney donation. Oh, my God. And from that point forward, I was constantly reminded of the urgent need for kidneys in our country. My own childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. That is I wasn't so naughty. given an opportunity to form secure attachments with my family of origin that in adulthood, that experience provided a strong sense of empathy while others might desire to give a family member or a friend. To me, the suffering of strangers is just as real. That's it goes on. so naughty. So it's like lifted word for Plagiarism. word and it appears in the story. So once Dawn sees this, she's seen, she said she showed her husband and he said, Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things have gotten bad. So once Dawn sees this, can I firstly just say as well that even though like Dawn Dolan's publicizing herself on Facebook is annoying, it's a really nice thing to give an organ to a stranger. Yeah, I it know. Just, like, it just is. like no, We're a very cynical it's, it's, society. It's very
4: nice. But at the same time, I'm like, if we knew someone who had donated the kidney, and I know it's very nice, but she's obvious, like she is doing it. So that people will praise her for being very nice. I like, know, this is but I'm you, just
3: like, it's. I feel like we've swapped sides with human <laughs> beings right now. Like I'm being you. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just like, I'm very cynical. And I think I, if someone I knew did this, I would find it so eye rolly yeah. that they posted about it all over Facebook, obviously. And I would like bitch to you about it and be like, oh my God, they've added us to this group yeah. as Sonia did, we will discover. <laughs> yes. But I just want to say with all cynicism aside going under the knife to have surgery to give one of your kidneys away to someone is a really nice thing to do.
4: Yeah. The Weekend City almost did it for Selena Gomez. Okay. And a song.
3: (laughs) But okay. So, okay. So then Dawn has discovered this passage and is like, okay, this is, she's trying to say that she was loosely inspired by me. And she's like, obviously based the character around me. And she's like plagiarized things that I've actually written. So now things escalate and Dawn goes to the writing body that is rewarding Sonia Larson for this book and says uh, parts of this story are plagiarized. And this then creates an ensuing legal battle where Sonia says, you're, I'm countersuing suing you for defaming me for plagiarism because you're making me out to be. like a pla- Plagiarism is the worst thing a writer can be accused of. Yes, there is, like, a couple of sentences here inspired by your letter, but, like, the root of the book is a completely separate thing. This is ridiculous. Like, it's semantics. And Dawn is saying, no, you've completely plagiarised a section. This is immoral. Mm -hmm. And this is basically where the whole thing continues to explode.
4: And then we get to the best part of the New York Times article, which is the group (laughs) texts become public. So basically... Sonia, who's the one who's the published writer, let's remember, she's the one that's, you know, quite prominent in this writers group in Boston. She is part of this little group of people, of mean girls and boys, called the Chunky Monkeys, (laughs) which... Like this, what? This thing feels like an
3: AI bot like spat out like nineteen <laughs> bizarre things. And they were like tied up together. Yes. It was, like, chunky monkeys, Dawn Dorland, Kidney, yeah. Boston. Oh my god. Um so Celeste. Yeah. <laughs> so the Little Fires Everywhere
4: author, Celeste Ning, is part of the chunky monkeys. Let it be known. And these chunky monkeys were all added to little Dawn Dorland's stupid kidney group. Then they all had this WhatsApp group chat where they were bitching about her. And they call her
3: DFD, which clearly stands for Dawn fucking (laughs)
4: Dorland. Oh my God. And then then all of the
3: texts got made public. It's crazy. Celeste says that the texts were not made public. They were subpoenaed by Dawn's lawyers and Dawn gave them all to the New York Times to oh be made god. public which i believe oh yes yeah, so good on you right. dawn
4: so yeah the reason this article is even in the public is because dawn got the new york times to write the piece or she like submitted it to the new york times which is crazy because no one comes off good in this piece she doesn't Sonia yeah. doesn't she's like
3: if this house is gonna burn down then by god like we're all going down with the ship yeah yeah
4: um so yeah it it is just like
3: absolutely crazy um so basically in these group texts they say like quite honest, like some truly heinous things about dawn and her remaining kidney which i will not repeat <laughs> oh it's the stuff in there is quite vile and i do i think this is a like interesting thing to talk about is like i think the biggest takeaway it seems on twitter and everyone discussing it is the fact that this group of people were acting like you know, mean girls saying horrible things about Dawn and her self promotion of her kidney donation, and then were siding with Sonia throughout this ongoing kind of legal battle because they obviously just disliked Dawn and the way she went about business and didn't really like her or think very highly of her. And then reading the group messages just feels so uncomfortable because it just feels like such a pylon, and it's so clearly punching down mm. and Sonia obviously just did something wrong. Yeah. And has been caught out.
4: That's what I was saying to you about it is I was like, God, I actually kind of feel bad for the rest of the chunky monkeys because <laughs>
3: I don't think they, they obviously hadn't
4: put, gotten up Dawn's Facebook post and Sonia's book and realized that Sonia had literally plagiarized. So Sonia's like playing it down. So to Celeste, she's in a chat, she's texting Celeste direct at one point point. And Celeste's being like, she can go and like Dawn can go on, fuck herself, which is like so crazy. It even worse than that. Yeah, it was worse than that. <laughs> and then Dawn, I'm sorry, S- Sonia is replying, being like, um, I'm a little bit worried. He he, I didn't do anything wrong legally. Did I? And Celeste is like, no, you didn't. And it's like, Celeste obviously doesn't know that you fucking fully plagiarize. Like,
3: it's like Sonia did plagiarize, but it's like in the context of the the literary value of the story. I know. That she was published for. It wasn't, um, my own childhood was marked by trauma and abuse. I wasn't given an opportunity to form secure. Like, I can see her perspective as well, where she's like, it's such an inconsequential line in the context of this 15,000 word short story that I've written. Like, it I, yeah. doesn't disqualify it from being valuable, literary. This woman's just got a axe to uh, grind. Yeah. she's so coming after me.
4: And, you know, I told you I've been listening to, um, I was watching those masterclass things. Yes. I was watching someone a famous author Uh margaret howell maybe margaret atwood no the little Mm, one with the gray hair and the curls yeah no i don't oh i don't think it was margaret atwood because i've read a margaret atwood book and i don't think i'd ever read this woman's books okay but she literally said that when she's out as a writer she would write word for word what people were saying. So she would be yeah. sitting, yeah, with her kids at a restaurant, and a couple would be fighting in the booth next door, and the kid would try and talk, and she would be like, "Shut up! I'm writing word for word what this person is saying." Yeah, and that's fine to do, but it's the Facebook post is like basically in a court of law or whatever it is. It's the same as a published piece of work. So she is like actually plagiarizing. But yeah, I get, I understand completely her side of it because she's just being like. This piece isn't about you. Like, yes, yes, okay, maybe I literally did plagiarize a sentence. Yeah. But also, who cares?
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and Which is like the frustrating thing because what it comes down to is so silly. But it's, yeah, it's like everyone's right and everyone's wrong and everyone just comes across terribly and you're just like, I just feel bad for everyone. All, the, all this dirty laundry is being aired. The group text I want to talk about because they come across as so vicious and nasty and mean because you obviously know at this point that dawn dorland is this like very earnest kind of clueless like obviously slightly socially inept person because she's like misreading so many social situations and Mm -hmm. thinking a lot of people are a friend when they're not and thinking that people won't find the kidney thing annoying when they obviously will and like all of that stuff that it feels so much like punching down particularly because celeste is a very famous writer and Sonia's a published author and these like successful writers and they're all making fun of and shitting on someone that like hasn't got any work published. It just feels so nasty and mean. So nasty. However, I do feel like this whole thing of let he throw the first stone, who's never sinned, like I don't think any of us would come off particularly well if our worst group texts had been shown to the public with no context. No. It feels like it's none of our business in a way. Like I do feel bad that some of these exchanges have been revealed. Yeah, the cut's headline was Hell is the New York Times publishing your group chat. Hell is literally the New York Times publishing. I can't think of anything. I used to think that about Slack at work.
4: Yeah, and it's because I also, like, with the Celeste stuff, because you were just like, I would never say something as bad as what Celeste said in some of those ticks. And I was like, you know what? I, like, literally probably would to never meaning it obviously but just to be funny like for comical like as yeah in, yeah when yeah. i speak to you i will say like heinous stuff
3: yes as a joke yeah yeah to obviously be, and, and I, like yeah, even sometimes well,
4: yeah. even sometimes on this podcast we'll say stupid shit as a joke and then people read it the wrong way or like not understand that we're joking yeah and and I reckon I in text, like I, I say crazy shit to you in text all no, the time. No, we say heinous
3: things in text Yeah, trying to be funny and trying to make each other laugh yeah. 100%. And when you don't have like the context or don't know a person or don't understand the way – it's like you'll say something to me and I understand the way you're saying it. Yes. You know what I mean? Whereas if you just read it in yeah. isolation, it could seem like the most horrible thing someone's yeah. like ever said. Not you specifically, yeah. but I just mean it's – so context is important. But having said that, it's like – i don't know why was this group of people obsessing over dawn so yeah much? so
4: also i read an article um so the new yorker actually read the story so the story is called uh, the kindest and also yeah. that's fucking hilarious hilarious yeah. and uh and sorry in the book as well there's other references to dawn so that's not the only part like the way the writer the way the kidney donor in the in the fictional story signs off her emails is kindly. And that's how Dawn signs off her emails. Yeah. All these little things. So a writer at the New Yorker read the story and said that it's actually quite bad. And she said the reason that it's bad is because, um, Love. no matter how hard she tried, the story was just always a takedown of Dawn. Yeah. And, and like she couldn't move past that to create these deep worthy characters. And that it was like super two dimensional because obviously in Sonia's mind, the kidney... Donor was always Dawn, because that's what sort it of was kind of based off. She was called Dawn in the early copies of the book, in the, in the like early stages. She was initially called Dawn. And so because Sonya obviously despises
3: Dawn, she's got all these group know. chats about I'm like, Dawn. i like, why does she hate Dawn? Like, I know. From a psychologist's perspective, it's like, what is it about Dawn yes, that bothers Sonya so much? Yes. I don't understand. So Sonya clearly despises Dawn, and so because of that, in the book,
4: yep. this donor is so two-dimensional has no and has no qualities, redeeming qualities yeah. and is really um distasteful to the point where the book just comes across super like one yeah like one one dimensional two, whatever just super straightforward um and the writer at the new yorker said that she read another of sonya's pieces and really liked it and thinks she's a really good writer and thinks that the reason the kindest is bad is because she couldn't like stop thinking about dawn
3: yes it's like she shot herself in the foot yeah exactly okay so there was an article uh, it's called rotten in denmark which i assume is like a substack and someone said identifying the bad art friend is easy in the early years it is sonia because she abused dawn's trust to mock and gaslight her while lying to their mutual friends to make dawn look even worse yes but in the later years it was dawn Someone you considered your friend turned your intimate reflections into a derogatory short story that humiliated you in front of your social circle, which sucks. But turning your hurt feelings into a career vendetta and a years-long legal battle and eventually leaking it to the New York Times is sucky behavior too. Yeah. So you basically got Sonia being naughty, definitely in the wrong, and then Dawn, like, carroning out hard and being like, I will not rest until Sonia is, like... Her name's dragged through the mud and she's publicly humiliated and the Times posts it and all these horrible messages are made public and I finally get my vindication. I don't care if I go down with the ship. I love Dawn. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: when I you said that. Make this into a movie. Oh my God. I don't know if I love Dawn. No, but just when you just said
4: that, I was like, I fully like can understand. Same. Feeling so Same. fucking like gaslit and angry that everyone's celebrating this person who's like
3: fully lied to If you, you saw those messages, you'd be like, this... Sonia is going <laughs> the down, down, going down. down. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it's so crazy. So Dawn has ultimately got the the upper hand, I would say. Now, now she does. Well, I don't know. Being, so many posting people posting a cringy Facebook, making a cringy Facebook group about your kidney in 2015 is nothing on like the nature of those heinous texts (laughs) but so
4: many people are um like Roxanne Gay and like all these people on Twitter are like fully sticking up for
3: Sonya but people only okay people only the only thing people have in their arsenal to dislike about Dawn is that she's wide and really annoying (laughs) yeah but I'm just like I think if if Dawn was like that was like the first comment on the New York Times was like if if you switch Dawn's race to any other race but white i think the power dynamics of it become
0: like yeah.
3: suddenly shuttered Do you know what i yeah, mean yeah. like if dawn was a black woman if dawn was a another asian american woman if dawn was like pretty much anything else mm-hmm. i don't think her feelings of being gaslit and manipulated and um mistreated and plagiarized without thing or whatever would be seen as so trivial yeah that's personally what i believe yeah because Sonia did at the very least writers of like Roxanne Gay and like uh, whatever, I can't remember what the other writer who was posting that it was called, wouldn't be publicly voicing their support. Yeah, I yeah. I personally believe.
4: Yeah, me too. Yeah, because Sonia brought in the race element saying that, uh, Sonia and Celeste actually saying that, you know, it's it's very fitting that Dawn's finding this all about her. When the story is about race and privilege and and things way wider, and like you say, it is it is about something way bigger than her. So, it's, yeah. in some senses, that is true because it is like just at what what point are you? And also, like I do genuinely feel as though Dawn is so pissed off about Sonya writing about it because she she got to it first. Yeah, she wrote, she wrote about Dawn's experience before Dawn even had a chance to. And I'd be so pissed off with you if I donated my kidney and then you wrote about someone donating their kidney and then turned me into an evil character
3: well, exactly. before I had a chance to. But it's also like Dawn just should have picked up the pen a bit faster. Exactly. I think Dawn is – and like I think it's like the Karen archetype. Like Dawn is like litigating, like yeah. dobbing her into yeah. the thing, trying to get up the story. Like it all just does feel very entitled and Karen-esque, which I think yeah. is just what makes it very hard to sympathize with Dawn, even though – it's just yeah. I just no one comes across good at all. Well, I can't believe this messy, the story. messy story. I it's can't like even a believe messy ta- Instagram about it. like beef has been turned into like a beautifully written op-ed. Like it's we yeah. couldn't have asked for more. Thank no. you, In New York Times, for doing God's work.
4: I know it's like um, what to face, Carolyn Colowan, Natalie all over again. Yes,
3: yeah, precisely.
4: <laughs> and that and Trauma. literally like that whole story was about who. Wrote Her, Carolyn like, Holloway's shitty Instagram, shitty Instagram
3: captions. captions in 2013. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. I do just feel like I was trying to think about the, the gender element in this and if a story like this could ever exist with men. And I just kind of feel like it couldn't.
4: No, but that's the crazy thing about it as well is that we are just so obsessed
3: with it because it's two women. It's the schadenfreude Freud yeah. of like seeing it. And I think yeah. we all have this terror, like that the cut headline hell is your group chat being linked to the new york times it's like we're attracted to it because it's like tickling this fear that all of us have that one day we'll be like exposed yeah i mean that that's the most interesting part is the
4: group chat which is just it's the 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 bitching element which we are all guilty of i really want to talk about bitching properly in another ep
3: same very interesting right next week perhaps
4: um okay bye
3: Okay, bye.
1: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that
2: may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods